Welcome back to Alien Theorist Theorizing Case File 46. I'm Zell. I'm Braden. And we have a very special guest interview on Skype here tonight. Freddie Silva, famed crop circle researcher, author, director, all-around legend. <laughs> Welcome to the now show. I've got something to live up to. Yeah, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Um, so before we got started, we... we we got Freddie on, and right away we were getting into some interesting discussion. We had to stop it to start the case file. Uh, Freddie, you were telling us that pretty much since 2003, most crop circles have been man-made. Yeah, in fact, uh, it was quite funny in hindsight. Uh, my book, Secrets in the Fields, was published in 2002, uh, coincidentally at the same time as the film Signs, and there was no connection between the two, uh, which really helped the sales quite a bit. But. <laughs> Someone, a friend of mine made a very prophetic uh, announcement because I literally spilled the beans on the entire phenomenon, uh, both man-made and the genuine thing. And uh, I told people how to differentiate between the two and the science behind it. Uh, the problem is that once you let the cat out of the bag, uh, he said, the hoaxing is going to get a lot better. And it did. And it's odd that since 2003, uh, 99% of uh, crop circles have been man-made and they are getting uh, better in terms of the way they look. But the thing is, they still can't replicate the real stuff. So uh, it does tend to throw people off a little bit. Um, but as I've always said, um, it, it, the crop circles were always a, a communication. They were a conversation between one world and ours. And like all conversations, they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then we have to go away and think about it and process the whole thing. And that's what it was all about. Um, and people sort of go to England and or they go to uh, North America, where uh, a handful of them still exist. In fact, the few genuine ones that exist in North America tend to happen around Ohio and around the Serpent Mouth is kind of interesting. Um, and um, But the thing is, um, we kind of knew about this years and years and years ago. And uh, people sort of uh, travel a long way to go and experience these things. And they kind of let down when they hear this piece of information. And uh, I, I have two answers for them. And one is, if you want to really follow the truth behind the crop circles and get into the real spirit of what they are about and what they are doing to you and for you, um, it's good to know the, the truth, uh, which has been well-researched. And two, sometimes you can go into a field and, and go into a man-made design, which is very likely nowadays. But you still be picking up the energy of what was there before years ago and that's the beauty of these the real thing is that they are what you're seeing is like the slice of an orange uh, you're experiencing uh, visually uh, an extraordinary phenomenon but it's actually what's behind the visual what creates it this important has to do with energy so the energy will be there for years afterwards so sometimes the hoaxes are doing us a favor by putting down their creations in fields where there was already a genuine circle. And that's where you get uh, in what is called a very technical term, the tingly winglies. And that's a good oh, thing. Tingly winglies. Highly technical, this program. It, we, yeah, oh, we do it, the, we do right the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that leads me to like, I, I'd written down this question. I, I've been watching some of your uh, lectures and stuff on uh, YouTube. I was watching uh, the sounds of the crop circle. Uh, oh, you yes. did one in L.A. there. And I was actually one of the questions I had is um, do these you mentioned in there sometime that there was this like this energy in there. And I was wondering, does it dissipate over time? Can you still feel it years and years after? So that was cool. Like you answered one of my questions right off the hop. That's so you can go do. Is it stronger when you're first there when it's when it was fresh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been in places where 16 packs of batteries suddenly evaporate of energy uh, and you're not even close to it yet. 
Gaga counters go off the scale and then they basically just die. I've seen the BBC walk in to genuine crop circles and watch a very agonizing array of red warning lights on their equipment. And it doesn't work as soon as you cross their perimeter. Uh, even helicopters flying over them at the right moment, um, usually within 24 hours of their appearance, uh, their compasses start pointing south, the gyroscopes start behaving very weirdly, and a lot of people don't want to fly over them for that reason as a matter of safety. Um, luckily, no one's ever been hurt. Uh, but the same, they, they are very energetic um, in terms of a fingerprint. And it's interesting because that fingerprint will last as much as five years. And it really depends on how many people visit the actual formation. Um, if it's not very well visited, the uh, energy can last a bit longer. So it's as if people go in. They act like blotting paper. They soak up a little bit of the energy, and this is why people talk about, you know, seeing things with their peripheral vision, or they have extended dream states. Uh, some people have been spontaneously healed, and these were skeptics to begin with, so they weren't making this stuff up. So yes, there is a very important energy, and um, the genuine crop circles have that, and the man-made ones don't. Uh, but here's the um, the rub, because there was a time when um, there were certain designs, and specifically in England where, you know, and again, to point out, the crop hasn't been damaged at all in the real crop circles. Uh, if you and I would go out and make one, you'd crush the plants because you obviously you have to use a heavy piece of equipment with which to take down the plants. The real things aren't damaged at all. And uh, there was a few, about three or four of them, which showed a serious degradation in the style of the plants. And um, it, it kind of had me puzzled and had a few physicists puzzled as well. And uh, we were able to measure some energy, which literally an hour later had gone. And uh, there was a guy there who was very familiar with microwave energy. And he said, you know, microwave energy is of a certain frequency that's very fleeting. It doesn't stick around. And it also uh, doesn't seem to be defined to any particular area, unlike the real crop circles. And uh, we finally recognized that someone had made these designs by hand, and they'd been irradiated as if um, from a, a beam from a satellite. And we began to theorize that there are, there's someone in the military is actually Actually trying to throw the research community off by irradiating crop circles with microwave uh, and then making us go on television and proclaiming all kinds of wonderful things when in fact they can then pull the rug from under us. So luckily we do happen to have the right people with the right expertise at the right time to prevent this happening. So it's a bit of a game sometimes, but it is worth um, sort of following through the research properly because it means that uh, you, know, you can call a spade a spade, and if it's not a spade, well, it's something else. It's a duck. And if it's not a duck or a spade, then you just have to say, I don't know. And uh, the, the great thing about the research in this subject is uh, to be honest about it. Okay, wait. So there's there's man-made crop circles. That's Everyone knows that. Everyone sees the guys with the plank and boards. And so it crushes the stock, right, as you were saying? And then the, yeah. the, the natural ones, they're like they're like fused sideways above like one of the nodal points right on the on the actual plant itself. They're bent about uh, two inches above the soil. And uh, I've been very fortunate on many occasions to be the first person on the site where you're looking at the plants, the head of the plants aren't even touching the ground. They're literally hovering over the ground, which means that in order to do my work, 
I have to actually crush the plants. Uh, so uh, the amount of times I've taken my boots off and just walked barefoot as a sign of respect, but still, it's uh, it's almost sacrilege when you walk in and uh, your heart really sinks when you re- recognize that you're about to damage something that's so beautiful that's been done with a certain type of energy that leaves no impression on the plants. It literally makes them fall over at uh, 90 degrees, it kind of rehardens the uh, the stems as though they were, they were made very molten, like glass, and then they reharden in their horizontal position. But when you look at the on the ground, they flow like a river. I mean, they use nature's own uh, spiraling motion of energy. So it kind of shows that uh, whatever and whoever's behind this uh, has complete control over the laws of nature and does so without, with full respect of the plants. So it's quite a beautiful sight to see. Okay, now, that, now that you said that they have respect for nature, I was going to ask, after a while, do, these, do the real crop circles, do they regrow? Do they re-stand up? Oh, they do. If you they leave do? them alone, they come up in the most extraordinary fashion. Um, there were in the early days where few people used to go into the fields, you'd see these photographs that show that after, you know, say, 10 days, uh, the barley or the wheat would start growing back up. But it would do so in really, really weird forms. So let's say you have a circle, okay? And they're not perfectly circular. They're slightly elliptical, by the way. Um, just like nature doesn't always make perfect circles. And um, it turns out that when the plants rise, they do so in an extraordinary way. So imagine that uh, a plant standing up uh, in its usual way has these nodes, what uh, we call like the the plant's knuckles, like you have knuckles uh, on your fingers that allows them to bend. Well, the plants, when they come back up and they haven't been damaged, they are somehow programmed to come up in different sections. So the first section, let's say a foot wide of plants, has been told to come back up on the first node. The next section has been told to rise in the second node and so on. So when you actually look at it from slightly from above, it looks like this undulating field of up and down and up and down. And it looks uh, and from the air, it resembles like the spokes on the wheel of a bicycle. So nature doesn't do that. This is, uh, can only be done. Plants can only be told to do that if they've been artificially told to do so. It's quite an extraordinary thing. Wow. I like, yeah. And the best thing is the following year when the farmers, and in fact, the farmers are the first ones to point this out. They said that, um, you know, after they've gone for the usual sarcasm when you first see them and the uh, negativity, because all they hear about on television is, you know, two guys made all the world's crop circles. Sometimes they made the same crop circle in three countries in the same evening, by the way. Right. Uh, the stories, the stories just don't add up. Um, and um, But after you get to know them, they'll say, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the following year, I'll plant the field and the crop uh, that is now, you know, it's disappeared. The, the, the field has been plowed. They've reseeded the entire field. And they said that it's the most magical thing where the area that's been reseeded, where the crop circle used to be, is now growing in the inverse. So in other words, the plants within the original affected area are now growing faster and taller than the plants around them. So it has a fertilizing quality to it. So that's why a lot of the farmers that we talk to uh, are really uh, interested in in finding out what we're finding out because they find that there's a benefit, a health benefit to the actual plants. The natural form of GMO. Uh, It's a real natural form (laughs) of GMO. Yeah, real natural. 
If I'll tell you a really funny story as a side thing, uh, a couple of times, because, you know, in Europe, um, uh, GMO is not allowed. Uh, the European Parliament has banned GMO crops. Right. Well, during the Blair administration in England, uh, or the Blair administration in England, as we call them, um, <laughs> He surreptitiously allowed Monsanto to go and use a test field somewhere in East Anglia. And um, it turns out that some, I don't know how they found out, but Greenpeace found out about this. So in the middle of the night, they snuck into the farmer's field and they actually made a crop circle in the shape of a biohazard sign and then reported <laughs> to the media. The media went out and said, hey, aliens have landed. And then they dug deeper to the story and found that the farmer had been planting GMO crop and that's how he was nailed. And that happened in France as well. So uh, well done, Greenpeace and hoaxing. Yeah, right on. So those, yeah. Well, well planned, well thought out hoax to do that. Okay, 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 Freddie, we got we got right into it real quick. Let's let's go back. We kind of want to ask you like, what got you started down this road of crop circles and like the real natural phenomenon of crop circles? What was there like one central event that you got that got you started? Yeah, I was. I'd actually moved to America at the time. I was actually living in Chicago. I was working uh, in uh, advertising. I was a creative director, uh, a writer, and an art director, uh, a million miles away from the subject. But I'd, I'd always been interested in the mysteries, uh, secrets, and the earth mysteries. And uh, I was watching television with the sound turned off one evening, and uh, I just knew exactly what I was looking at. It's like uh, I just something just turned inside me when I was looking at this image of this you know, what looked like an alien sign in the middle of a wheat field in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, I know exactly what that is. And uh, I kind of traced the fall of my career to that point. And uh, I spent more and more time going backwards and forwards to England to do um, research. And eventually, you know, wrote this book. I had no intention of writing because so much of the evidence was pointing in the other direction of what we're being told. I mean, the first thing was that and we found out that these two idiots called Doug and Dave, they'd actually been paid by the <clears throat> British Secret Service using taxpayers' money. Now, if the whole thing was hoaxed, then why would you pay two guys to tell the world that they made all the world's crop circles? And like I said, sometimes free uh, designs in several countries in the same evening, which makes me wonder why shouldn't be, we be analyzing Doug and Dave instead? Because if humans can be in three different countries at the same time, <laughs> wow, I'd like to be able to do that. It'll save me so much on uh, those horrible flights that you have to take these days, being cramped in an airplane so you can just yeah. be anywhere. <clears throat> Um, and that's what got me interested. It was the fact that there was a big lie and there was also a big benefit to humanity because people were talking about spiritual awakenings and healings. And uh, there were scientists describing how they've taken these designs and uh, built them in their garages. And they've got these um, machines that actually defy gravity. And we'd known that from channeled material from a woman who picked up the story from, uh, from the crop circles before the crop circles even appeared in England. So that's why it got so strange that I figured there's this huge story here that humanity has to know. Hell yeah, that's fucking cool. Uh, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we're doing, it. but we never took it any farther except this podcast. Not yet, at least. <laughs> yeah, we're at the we're we're just we're just, we're just starting, starting to fall down the rabbit holes. Um, it's a very very deep rabbit hole, and it gets more and more curiouser and curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, that's that's what we find. The more we read, they're like, oh, come on, this is insane. Okay, one thing I want to ask you, you said about those two hoaxers. They're, well, you see pictures of the ones that they claim they've hoaxed, and they're like, they pale in comparison to some of these that are supposedly alien or other, or, or not, they're not done with the board and plank. Let's, let's start with that. 
So yeah, exactly. And the f- farmers who actually saw them making them uh, live for the cameras said the same thing. I said that's not, and I quote, "That's not like the ones we've had before." And uh, usually in the old episodes of the of the news items, what you get to see is Doug and Dave out there with a board and a little ludicrous contraption that uh, of a, this sort of bent wire that they hooked to a baseball cap that said that helped them align straight lines by focusing <laughs> on a tree in the horizon. Well, there's no way you can do that you'd have to have the foresight and the backside to create a perfectly straight line you'd have to have your head rigidly set in cement for that to happen uh so it was ridiculous but the funny thing is and being in advertising i immediately saw this because you'd see them making the crop circle and then the the, uh, news item would cut to a real aerial crop circle uh, sorry a crop circle shot from the air that was real that i knew was real so it would be the equivalent of you and i going out in the middle of of uh, you know, New York City with a trowel and some bricks and some cement, and we'd lay a few courses of bricks, and then you cut to the Empire State Building. Yeah. And people would believe, hey, these two just built the Empire State Building over lunch. <laughs> That's a very clever old advertising trick, you know. Which and they built two more other. in different countries. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's pretty crazy that, that that can debunk all of these circles. Just a couple of guys on, on TV. Technique. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it's a very simple technique. Basically, if you can try and just um, turn off a section of the population uh, and then get them to fight each other, uh, that means that the government has done its work for you. I mean, all you have to do is look at the current um, political situation in America. It's the same. It's the same concept. It was actually designed, but actually, it was used by the Nazis, and God knows who came up with this stuff. But there were masters of doing this. You set people against each other and you divide and conquer. We do the work for ourselves by basically fighting each other while the guilty get on with the work behind our back. It's a very simple, um, corny technique. And, you know, it really works. Yeah, you you fit uh, religion versus religion, race versus race, belief versus belief, political party versus party. And then the infighting starts and then everything else is kind of just lost lost in the wash pretty much. Absolutely, which is why it's worthwhile, you know, paying attention, being selective and paying attention to people to actually do the real work and saying, okay, you don't have to believe everything I'm saying, but you know what? This guy at least has done his homework and he's being honest about it. You know, I could be making, I could be sitting here saying, you know, go out and buy my book because everything is genuine, but you know, that's not what I'm saying at all. You know, I'm I'm actually bad for business when I say, well, a lot of crop circles are man-made, but um, that's not going to sell me a lot of books. But at the same time, that's not why I'm doing this. I'm doing this to tell the truth and to open people up to a bigger reality. And once you get there, my God, your life is going to improve so much because then you'll see through everything in life. Yeah. So, yeah, you have an honest interest in what you're doing. And that, absolutely. And like, uh, when it comes in later. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, like we're all for it. If you've got an honest, honest interest and you like, if you want to do it full time, like unfortunately we live in a world where you have to make a little bit of money and you write a book and people should buy it. Definitely. Exactly. In fact, I've always joked as well that you can always tell a good researcher by the amount of arrows on their back. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, with you, we talked about a little bit about the government um, hiring people and irradiating fields, possibly to discredit. Do you have any? What's your What's your thoughts on that? Why? Like, why? Why are they doing that? Well, they, um, it was quite funny because early on in the research, there was a very clever 
reporter who managed to infiltrate one of the hoaxer gangs. And uh, they didn't realize who he was, and he had a concealed microphone. And he was able to record. And looking back on this situation, it was actually very foolish of them to open up that quickly. They said that um, the governments around the world are actually really worried about the fact that they're, we're being invaded by aliens. But that's actually not the case. Um, if they really wanted to come all the way to invade us, they would have done it by now. Yeah. Uh, these things are works of art. I mean, they're made by, obviously, a source that's very non-malicious. But they are very concerned because these uh, beings, let's call them beings for now, sure. um, they haven't contacted the British government, the American government, the German government, and incredibly of all, the Vatican. And that's who the hoaxers said were really at the center of the hoaxing because they're hoping that whoever's behind this is going to contact them. They have no control over the crop circles. They can't just put a, a sign in the field uh, uh, by the government and say, please, don't make crop circles on this field. Uh, and they, if they have no control over this, then they can't answer questions from the public. And if the public is seen not to believe in the government, then the government hasn't got a bona fide reason to govern. That's how their thinking is. And it's totally um, plausible. You know, they don't want to lose their jobs. They're they don't lose their credibility, but at the same time, they're having to lie in order to maintain the credibility, which is a bit of a hypocrisy. Um, but that's human nature. Uh, it's just the way it is. So it's um, it's a very simple answer to the question, actually. Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, governments, they always... Trying to keep control, keep control exactly. over the people. Yeah, I mean, they honestly think that they do have the public's best interest at stake. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. You'd have to be in government. I think some people do. I think some people use government as a mask to do really nefarious things. Uh, but at the same time, uh, they do believe that they have the, everybody's best interest at stake. And if they haven't got an answer to a supernatural phenomenon, then their credibility is blown. It's uh, It's very silly when you think about it. Yeah, it's like that's not the scientific way, right? If you see a, oh, if you see a phenomenon, like you should do everything in your power to try and understand what it is. Not necessarily exactly. jump straight to aliens or straight to something else, but like to start at the bottom. Like, all right, what is this? How's it happening? <laughs> Why is it happening? But instead, it's just like <laughs> not discredit, discredit, discredit. Exactly. Actually, if it was Eric von Daniken on the show, I think he'd immediately jump to aliens. <laughs> well, we we usually do that, but uh, we start slow and then we jump to aliens by the end usually. <laughs> Um, it depends on how you define alien, let me put it that way. Okay. How would you define alien? Let's start there. Uh, I define alien as both physical and non-physical entity. Anything that's not outside, everything that's outside of our paradigm. Uh, and yes, uh, there have been people over the world who have seen uh, UFOs before and after crop circles in the vicinity of them, but there's no shred of evidence to show that they actually make them. Right. Uh, in fact, the evidence seems to point that there's a non-physical uh, entity at work here. Uh, and for this, you're going to have to take a little bit of a leap of faith, uh, because uh, one of the people for whom I really wrote the book, because she's a good friend of mine, or she became a good friend of mine, she's a highly respected trans medium in England that even the police used to solve their most um, heinous crimes. And she has a near 100% record. Crazy. And uh, as a trans medium, she inadvertently vectored information from this universal consciousness calling themselves the Watchers. And they said that um, they're very concerned about what's happening here on Earth and that they can't intervene directly, so they can only suggest things that would help us move along. And they said that they would show signs of their existence seven days from uh, from now at the Hill of Light. And uh, we thought, what the hell is this 
about. And, it's, and we thought, well, wait a minute, the Hill of Light is the uh, Europe's tallest man-made mound, which is called Silbury Hill in the center of Wiltshire, not far from Stonehenge. And uh, sure enough, seven days later, the first of the new generation of crop circles suddenly appeared at the base. And that's when we realized, oh my God, there's, a, there's, there's some kind of consciousness that's communicating with us for reasons that we don't know yet, that um, is suddenly talking to us and um, they're going to start giving us a huge amount of information. It's going to really turn the world on its head. Uh, so, so much of what I wrote in terms of the science in the book really went back to validating a lot of her material, and it all turned out to be absolutely correct. And that's what makes it such an interesting story. And uh, But they were saying, in, in when, the, when I was trying to figure out who are these people, they were basically saying that they're very physical on their level of reality. You just have to understand reality as being formed of various degrees of frequencies. So let's start, for example, that uh, we, the whole universe is made of a big radio station. And we, at the physical uh, world, are down at 88 FM. Very physical. You can touch things. You can hit walls. It hurts. It's a physical world. But there are a multitude of uh, uh, universes and a multitude of people living at the in these universes and they're all living at different frequencies uh, case in point i mean we can only see so much of the light spectrum and we can only hear so much of the uh, uh hearing spectrum whereas uh, tortoises uh, sorry porpoises uh <laughs> dolphins whales elephants they can hear and see far beyond us so obviously we are very limited in our scope in what we can perceive. And that's how they're explaining it. At 90FM, there's a whole new universe of people out there. We see them as light sometimes, as light phenomena. And we go, wow, what are those balls of light floating around the field? Well, that's them. They can't physicalize to our level. They can only show themselves at a point where we can barely perceive them, which is the light spectrum. And they said that where they are is so far along the radio dial that we don't even have numbers to interpret it. And they said, just forget about it. But sometimes during some momentous times in human history, they have uh, materialized into physical forms. And they said that we take on very unusual forms. We develop long heads. Uh, like in the Egyptian long heads and the Peruvian long heads. And we also are very, very tall because our frequency does not allow us to live in the human realm for very long or easily. So because in nature, all form follows function, we had to develop uh, biological bodies which would allow us to live in certain comfort. Uh, so if you look back at, for example, Egyptian history, going back to the time of Tutankhamun, Akhenaten, and before them, uh, yes, there was a lineage of people called the Watchers or the Shining ones, uh, the people of the light, uh, who went all the way back to 8,000 BC, and they're all documented in the Egyptian history record. And in fact, they said that uh, uh, because they ran out of people which to uh, to mate from their particular kind, they had to mate with humans, and that's where the problems began. And there is an actual record in the Egyptian temples that clearly states that the first pharaoh, and I quote, of a purely human bloodline begins in 3100 BC, and that's an established record. So these beings who are very concerned about our well-being, uh, we can call them guardian angels if you're a Christian, um, they basically are trying to remind us that uh, we're part of a bigger universe, and uh, they're giving us some very helpful information um, disguised in beautiful symbols. That was extremely well put. Fuck yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. No. So... <laughs> On that topic now, so a lot of these crop circles, they show, like, signs of sacred geometry, like, really crazy, like, showing showing the relationship of, of phi and, like, all these, like, crazy golden ratio and stuff. 
So is that like s some type of their like their way of trying to like send messages to messages to us? Yeah, and any mathematician would understand that because um, you know if we try to communicate between cultures, language is always a problem. And yet, uh, if you use mathematics or geometry, that's the actual connection or language that nature uses to communicate with itself. So if you're coming here from another civilization, planet or universe, you'd use mathematics as a form of communication. So that's why so many of the crop circles are mathematically bent. Um, the, the way that the crop circles begin is a perfect natural spiral that is only found in nature. Uh, I've seen people make crop circles and they cannot even begin to approximate the spiral. It requires a ratio of 1 to 1.614 and so on. Um, very hard to achieve. Um, there are new mathematical theorems which we have discovered for the first time in 2,300 years, which are embedded in some of the crop circles. So our understanding of mathematics is now being uh, taken forward a little bit. Uh, there are advanced, uh, advanced hyperdimensional physics involved in some of the designs, which has helped people build some very unusual devices, which are anti-gravity devices. And uh, one of them is here in America, one is in England, one is in Australia. And uh, with a little bit of electrical assistance to get them going, they do levitate. And they're just waiting for the right political expedient moment to reveal this to the public. Because right now, not a good time. So there is a lot of mathematics involved, which shows that so we're talking with a, you know, a, a group consciousness that obviously understands the rules of nature, how to bend them, and then applies them in a way that we can understand in the circles that some clever person can then decipher, then then show us that we're dealing with an intelligent source. And that's how the conversation then developed. That's how we went from simple circles to pictograms to really highly complex shapes. We were being, you know, literally given a new lesson each season. And as we learned the lesson, so the crop circles developed. And that's how you get to the really complex stuff by the time you get to 1999. Oh, that was actually um, quite, that was a, sorry, Braden, go ahead. What I was going to ask is going into that and possibly um, beings trying to uh, give us these messages and these designs. Do you think now that the we kind of talked about the energy of these locations is the energy in the actual location or is the energy do you think maybe derived from the design uh it's both um the way i finally worked it out and i was able to prove this um by some very strange coincidences because uh, i had to learn everything from scratch i mean i'm not a physicist i have to learn physics from scratch i have to connect all the dots and talk to the right people uh and uh, it turns out that, that what's happening is is that the design really emanates from space uh it's um we now know that thought uh, is actually an electromagnetic form. So when you and I have a, a thought that is directed in a very focused way, you can actually influence the algorithms on a computer. Uh, they've done this at Princeton University, and they've been able to prove this. And this is Princeton, for Christ's sakes. Uh, it's not just some uh, you know garage sort of driven experiment. These are real hard-nosed scientists trying to blur the, uh, the gap between science and mysticism, and they're doing a very good job at it. So if you take that basic concept, that if you send a packet of thought through space, that um, energy basically is unseen in the vacuum of space. But as it starts to hit the, the atmosphere, which is much denser, it starts to break down the frequency. And the first thing that you will see is a beam of light before a crop circle is made. And there are at least 60 eyewitnesses 
around the world that actually say this, including policemen, by the way. Uh, and uh, they'll say that there's a beam that comes out of the sky and it rotates uh, to the point where if it's raining, you can see the rain bouncing off it. It will last for about 15 seconds, regardless of the size of the crop circle. They hear a sound associated with it, and the thing manifests in less than 15 seconds. Well, there's a good theory behind this, because we know that if you slow down the, um, a, a particle beam to, let's say, uh, 40 octaves, let's say it's about 40 octaves above the human hearing range. Uh, so we're now talking electromagnetism here. Um, at that point, you're creating light. But if you slow that down 40 octaves, uh, that beam of light, you can actually hear the actual note. And when that note, as a frequency, hits something physical like plants or water or powder, uh, it creates a beautiful geometric shape. And um, there are libraries around the world that clearly show the interaction between energy and uh, physical mediums. And you can see the photographs that have been uh, taken that clearly show the impact of a sonic form uh, on a physical surface that reveals the exact forms as the crop circles. And that's how we realized how, that's how they were doing it. They were using a form of sound, light, uh, and of course, with the plants also doing unusual things, they're also bending the geomagnetic field at that location. So the thought itself is an energy form. Now, here's the second part. The second part is that that energy is not just flat. I mean, that we're, we're only seeing the slice of the orange in a crop circle. The energy goes above the ground like a big dome because we know this because it interferes with, with uh, helicopters that fly over the crop circles. But it also goes underneath the ground because we've made magnetometer surveys of the crop circles and found that the energy descends into the Earth too. So these things are three-dimensional. Now, here's the third part of this. Where the crop circles appear, and I'm talking about the real ones now, not the other stuff, where they appear, they always appear at the crossing points of the Earth's uh, geomagnetic lines of energy, what they call the telluric currents. The thing is that all of these currents also happen to go to the adjacent uh, ancient temples. So all the ancient temples on the face of the Earth are also built exactly on the same crossing lines of energy. So this, this energy is going around the Earth. It's energizing the old sacred sites, and it's doing all kinds of unusual things to the planet. So no wonder people are beginning to react to these things. And, you know, whether positively or negatively, that's up to everybody. It depends on what kind of uh, music your crop circle is. I mean, to some people, crop circles are, you know, it's like the best music they've ever heard. But to those people that don't believe in this and they want to drag their feet and they don't want to develop, um, they're going to basically uh, make sure that you fail at what you're doing. And that's why we get so much antagonism in these subjects. Uh, some people just don't want to believe this and some do. Uh, but that's how it happens, basically. It's a form of energy imprinting itself in the face of the earth and it's impacting every living organism. Okay, I got a couple of things to say on that because that just like blew my mind. So on, on the form of like a physical rep representation of sound waves, it's called like when I first came across, it was called semantics is when like if you put like oh, uh, semantics, yeah, yeah, semantics. Yeah. If you put to like if you sprinkle salt on a metal plate and then vibrate a certain frequency th through it, it'll take a form depending on the frequency, the higher the frequency, the more elaborate the pattern. That's and, exactly how we figured it out. Yeah. And, and a lot of those patterns, like you look at some of the crop circles like, oh, that looks like a. Uh, 440 hertz or a 432 or like a, they they rep represent like a certain frequency range of sound 
which we were able to actually record uh, and uh, using uh, you know highly sensitive electrostatic meters you could actually figure out the actual frequency in fact the friend of mine he's who designed one such device we'd walk together in the field uh, along the, uh, the the tractor lines so we wouldn't damage any of the upright crop and uh, I would be dowsing. I mean, uh, I, I tend to look at energy in a much more subtle way. I don't need uh, mechanisms to tell me that there's energy there. Uh, and he would be getting exactly the same hit on his meter. But whereas I would get a certain hit in the in my copper rods, he would get a, a frequency reading on his machine. And every time I'd get a major reading, he would get a major hit on his machine. Whenever I get a lower reading, he'd get a drop. So we're able to actually validate this very ancient technique with a brand new modern piece of equipment. And when we did the map of uh, these crop circles, it turns out that they actually start off as being, you know, you're walking along the field and you probably be picking up about 150 megahertz as a background frequency. Uh, there's a lot of uh, static out there these days. The moment you hit the wall of a real crop circle, the frequency can shoot up as much as 220 megahertz. That's quite a big jump. And then it goes down a bit, up a bit, down a bit, but always increasing as you get towards the center. Uh, so it's like a shock wave. The actual design, you know, like you said, it's like uh, cymatics. It's like the um, repercussions of a shock wave that's hit um, the plants. So again, very elegant, very uh, beautiful way of doing it. So now, so now you got these semantics, and you have like these special designs in the crop circles, and then you go around to a lot of these ancient sites around the world, and a lot they have like a lot of like the flower of life and like these complex like geometrical patterns. So there's there's got to be some type of relation between like sacred sites, crop circles, and uh, sacred geometry. Am I correct? Well, well here's the interesting thing. They, uh, I mean, uh, that's what we got so excited about this, and why I ended up sort of writing um, other books on related subjects because I suddenly realized, well, wait a minute. Wherever the crop circles appear in the world, even in the Canadian prairies, uh, where there used to be large uh, Native American mounds where no one's buried. I mean, the mounds are just marking the energy lines. That's what they do. Right. Um, it turns out that there was a relationship. I'm going, wait a minute. They're trying to point something out about our ancient history. What is it about the ancient sacred sites that they're trying to get us to look at? Well, now that I've uh, analyzed sacred sites, it turns out that they literally are one and the same thing. These, the, for example, let's take a, let's take a period. Uh, because it's such a easily to understand shape. The Great Pyramid of Giza, once you uh, take all the stones away, it's just one big energy vortex. Uh, it, it, you can measure this on equipment. Uh, you can do all kinds of experiments with it, but essentially it's marking a big geomagnetic hotspot. Uh, the, uh, there's a certain type of stone that's used to harness that energy to make sure it doesn't go away. It then amplifies it on the inside so that you're actually susceptible to a, a much rarefied frequency in the inside than you are on the outside. And what we found is that the frequencies that uh, are created inside those uh, ancient temples just happen to coincide with the frequency that uh, alters your brainwave patterns. In other words, uh, you have two hemispheres of your brain. One is used for uh, measuring things and for rationalizing, so it's your left brain. And your right brain is your intuitive, which is where all the fun stuff exists. And it turns out that the frequencies that are present in these sacred sites uh, are exactly the range that is needed to switch you 
from left brain to right brain. In other words, they don't want you to think about the stuff. They want you to feel the stuff. And once you get to that point, oh, it's like doing mushrooms without the side effects. You literally are having out-of-body experiences, and people are getting healed as a result of this. And the same thing was happening in crop circles, and that's what the connection was. Because ultimately, the sacred sites were built to have you to help you have an expanded state of uh, consciousness. And once you have that, and you're more aware of the bigger picture of what's going on, then you know what uh, who you are, where you've come from, what your purpose is here, and what the big scheme of thing is. In other words, you have complete control over yourself, and that's the one thing that religion would not allow you to do, nor any government, and that is very dangerous. So no wonder, it goes back to our earlier question, why is there so much debunking? Well, there's your answer right there. People don't want you to work up to the bigger picture. They want to keep you under control. Uh, it's a very cliched subject, I know, but unfortunately, that is the truth. I, got, I actually got a little bit of shivers, like a whole bunch of stuff in my mind just clicked into in, <laughs> into into fruition there, because uh, you you hear about you hear going about down these, the rabbit hole. Yeah, you hear you hear about these you hear about these ancient, you hear about these ancient sites, and you hear like they were like temples for like for altering your mind, and you're like, oh, you you hear that, but you never actually make make the connection. But what you just said there made a huge connection for me. Because like and there's science behind it now as well. I mean, I've uh, in my second book, The Divine Blueprint, I went really deep into that. And again, Princeton did experiments with this as well. Uh, they actually developed a machine that can actually measure the influence of consciousness uh, with and without sacred space or even in normal parking lots. I mean, they've, they've had to do their scientific experiments. Uh, I remember a very famous case where they went to a, um, a Native American sacred site in Wyoming, and they measured uh, people's consciousness at the site and the the machine was going off the scale they tried the same meditational group in a walmart car park and nothing happened of course uh, all you could measure was the people doing the meditation that the site had no influence on them and then they went off to egypt and uh, they went off and tried the machine in different sites and they found that just the temples by themselves were registrating uh, frequencies as high as a large meditating group of people but when you put the meditating group of people together with a temple oh the readings way way off the scale so now you have real science able to measure what people 15,000 years ago were trying to tell us that the these buildings were built to make you into a god or remind you that you are a god and that uh, you're not just flesh and bone, that uh, you're much more than some of your parts, and they don't let them tell you otherwise. And we've forgotten that over time, so now the crop circles are doing exactly the same thing to remind you of this connection. Uh, again, a very new age concept, very Buddhist concept, uh, but very true at the same time. It makes it makes a lot of sense that, especially like the Catholic religion, like a means of, of control would try and annihilate all these ancient sites and ancient teachings because they 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 knew that was the, that was the case right eliminate exactly. eliminate your right brain right brain keep them left brain so they don't really think for themselves no intuition keep them uh, paying their tithe staying true to the church feeding the machine and now <laughs> and now and now like we're starting to realize like that's what it is and it's like all it's, it's all this like coming together and now I, I got one i got one more question for you because you hear about like a lot of the like the theories of the ancient maya and their like long count calendar in 2012 a lot of people said it was all the end of the world, but a lot of people also say it's like the start of a new dawn of like human consciousness. Absolutely. Do you have? Uh, do you go into that that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, I did. In fact, I was asked by a major magazine to write an article about the end of the world. And I said, well, I don't really do that kind of thing. Uh, but you know what? I'd like to research it. I want to have some fun. And you know what? There have been 13 end of the world scenarios since the time of Christ. And the only people that ever benefit from any of them have been the Catholic Church. Uh, so it's a bit of a, a, a funny article. But at the same time, I actually wanted to find out what is the big mystery about the Mayan calendar? Because any elder in Central America, if not in any culture around the world, will tell you there is no such thing as linear time. Everything happens in cycles. Uh, in fact, the Japanese talk about, you know, going in the round. You have to think in the round. And uh, what comes around comes around. So the Mayan calendar essentially to them was, well, you know, it's another cycle within another cycle within another cycle. It's like your Volkswagen engine. It gets to 900, 9,999, and then it turns over to zero. But the car's still running. And I thought, you know what, that's a very good analogy. And it turns out that the original Stella on which this calendar was written <clears throat> Which, by the way, is not mine at all. The Olmec inherited uh, that uh, calendar from um, someone else, even older than them. Right. So we're talking about something that went back thousands of years. Um, and the, the Maya said that, uh, oh, uh, and the, this, this German professor found the Stella in a small temple uh, not far from Teotihuacan, up in the hills. Uh, not many people know about it. And uh, I read his report. Uh, he was... Um, really keen into this. He was, he was onto something and he was saying, well, this is interesting because they're thinking about this this, this return. They're, they're trying to prime the owner of the land for the return uh, of the spirit god uh, to come back in 5,000 years and he is to prepare the land uh, for the return of the close of the, of the end of the era. And uh, the end of the, um, the stella is actually missing. It's broken off. Now, he was a bit of a manic depressive and he kind of took this as being maybe a, a warning. And then he dies. Well, his uh, laboratory assistant takes over the research, and uh, he was actually bipolar. So he began to look at his notes, and he completely misinterpreted what the original scientist had read. And he took this to be a real omen that the world really was going to end. So another, and then again, he passes away, and then someone else picked it up. I can't remember whom. And uh, they basically realized, oh, my God, we can uh, actually have to warn people that the, the end of the world is coming in 2012, and we should do something about it and prepare ourselves spiritually. And then a whole movement of people cashing in on it. Well, you know what happened, basically. It became, it became a huge goldmine of, of money for people. It was a big cult and, hit. Uh, yeah. the whole thing went totally out of control. And I was just laughing when I was writing this because I thought, my God. It's like Monty Python couldn't have written a better script, <laughs> you know, where from a small error of, of uh, in the mis in the uh, reinterpretation of someone's original work, this error manifests into something and into a huge catastrophe. But here's the upside of it. The thing is with the cycles is that they were always never meant to happen exactly on the dates because you know, in nature, in the cosmos, everything is very fluid. So the end of the cycle is just a synchronization with heavenly forces. What happens is during these cycles, there are big changes that happen. And usually they're not very good. Uh, if we look back at history, there's usually, uh, you know, a meteorite that hits the earth, a big flood, um, some solar flare. Most of humanity gets wiped out. But you know what? People survive. We start again. We rebuild again. And this window of opportunity exists within about 40 years either side of the date to allow us as a as a human consciousness as a collective to get our act together and if we can get our act together and recognize that we have more power than we can uh, possibly understand to quote the line from star wars 
And there's a lot of good stuff in that film, by the way. Um, they basically said that if we can basically muster our collective will to work together, we can actually uh, not only postpone the uh, coming end of the world, but we can also maybe deflect the large meteorite that NASA now believes has a very good chance of hitting the Earth sometime around 2034, which just happens to coincide with the date in one crop circle that appeared 30 years ago that actually shows the Earth missing from the solar system. So there is a warning to all of this, and there is a way that we can actually overcome it or even prepare for the worst. In fact, we may even, if we get our act together, and believe me, there's more people thinking good things about the world right now than, than, than you want to believe. It's just that the media doesn't want to show good news, you see. So there's more people thinking the way we do, trying to come up with a, a way that we can all work together. And if we just get our act together before then, we may just be able to uh, divert uh, this uh, asteroid and um, basically avoid a huge catastrophe. So that's what the end of the world really is. It's just passing from one age to the next. But it's a very fluid thing. And it doesn't have necessarily have to be uh, negative. It, it can be something that ultimately would be for our greatest good. Right. Well, do you know the name of that asteroid? I remember. I remember reading about it, but I can't remember the name of what they. Call I think it. it's called Apophis. Apophis. Uh, yeah, named, it's Apophis. That's right. I think it's named after the um, Egyptian god, um, which is the big writhing serpent, uh, which is always taken to be a bad omen. But you know, the Egyptians said, "Well, the serpent really is just the energy of the universe. It's here on Earth. Uh, these lines of energy are the same ones where the crop circles grow to, where the sacred sites are built on." And you know what? It's just like the arteries in your body, except that on the earth, they actually do move. They behave like serpents. They're not good or bad. You just have to know how to harness them. And the Chinese always said that about the dragon lines. You have to work with the dragon energy. You don't have to be afraid of it or kill it. You just have to work with it. You have to use the flow, you know, or as, the, as the, the, it was so well said in, in a movie, you have to use the force. Use the force. <laughs> yeah, we love Star, we love Star Wars. Starting to oh, sound there's like so a much the good element. information about that film. I, I think Lucas was actually channeling, and I don't think he's given himself enough credit for what he wrote. Man, oh. we, we just went we just went on the biggest tangent about ancient cultures and stuff. It fucking fit right in. It was perfect. Yeah, it was <laughs> unreal. Man, I got um, I got shivers. I, okay, let's let's bring it bring it back to crops. I had a couple of questions fans had written in that wanted us to ask. Um, when what was the best was there a best year for crop circles um oh it kind of depends on how you define best i mean uh, for me it was around 1996 97 when uh, you know i was making some huge discoveries uh, i guess because i was i was ticking all the right boxes and the answers were coming up in the field to prove that i was going on the right path of inquiry uh, it was like a wonderful relationship that was happening with this invisible consciousness. And uh, I, I still love the day that I was doing it because I felt very guided by this. Uh, there was magic happening all the time. And we were getting some beautiful designs, which was stretching our imagination and really pushed us to the extreme. But I would say anything in the early years, from the even from the simple circles, which are beautiful to look at in their simplicity from the early 80s, all the way through to the um, to about 1999. Uh, and then the whole thing starts degrading with, you know, there's more hoaxing starts to come on board and stuff. But those were definitely the golden years. But uh, having said that, I mean, 
the crop circles have been around quite a long time. I mean, there's uh, the Native American cultures uh, recognize them. Uh, they said that, that, you know, they come here p- uh, sporadically uh, over the millennia. Uh, it's the signs of the star people, and the star people are very real. They uh, come over for tea uh, to the Lakota people virtually every other week. In fact, if you talk to the Lakota about the star people, they almost roll their eyes. It's like, oh, God, more white people that want to talk about star <laughs> people. I can't believe they don't believe this stuff yet. You know, they're almost disparaging. <laughs> They can't believe we're so backward. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's actually quite an old phenomenon. But um, if I was going to put a golden ear on it, I'd say, yeah, the middle 80s to the uh, middle 90s when all the, you know, the real hard research was really being done. And we were making huge milestones in trying to understand what was going on and why we were being communicated. Um, what about uh, what? What do you think, in your opinion, what was the what's the best crop circle you've ever seen? What's the oh. most beautiful <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Um, like, is I, there one that stands out in your mind where, like, when you think about it, it, it comes to your forefront to your mind? Oh, there's two. Uh, one for personal reasons and uh, a second one for um, collective reasons. The first one, I had just sort of put together how they were all being put, uh, being made. I just didn't, I couldn't seem to tie them together. Uh, and then I went and actually laid down in one one evening and uh, I, actually was, uh, I was actually levitated and taken out of body. And after that experience, and I can tell you, I've never forgotten that, um, I basically began to write down so many notes that I thought I was going mad. And like I said, I did not want to write the book. Uh, this is something that was dumped upon me. And uh, looking back on it to this day, I don't remember where half the stuff came from. So that was a very personal experience. Uh, and I had the bump on the back of my head to prove that I did hit the ground uh, with quite a fun <laughs> 45 years later. But the big one was the fact that uh, once we realized what was going on, I'd conducted an experiment across the Atlantic with uh, about seven people. Uh, they came from different forms of life. There were psychics, there were healers, there were computer experts, um, there were mathematicians, lay people. Uh, and I told them, I said, um, and I didn't tell them I was doing conducting an experiment with other people. I just said, look, can you give me an idea where the big one is going to be this year? And this was in 1999. And... Um, I said, if, and if you can, give me an idea of what geometry would be used, and if you possibly can, a date. And you know what? Every one of these people got it with, within three days. They all came in around the same village in England, and England has a lot of villages, but they focus in on one of them, which no one's ever heard of, by the way, uh, unless you live very close to it. And a lot of these people I've talked to were from Canada and America, so they certainly would never heard about, would have heard of a town called Devizes in Wiltshire. And they talked about seven-pointed geometry with a nine-pointed element. And I've kept these in an envelope uh, hidden from everybody. Uh, we got it down to within 24 hours to the point where we were going to actually stand on a, in a, on a hill looking down on this field, which is a very rare occurrence in that part of the world. All the fields are usually flat. So we'd have a perfect vantage point. You know, all the years of research, we're finally going to catch them at it. I booked my airplane three days in advance without telling the pilot where I was going to go because that would invalidate the scientific experiment. And um, the evening uh, that came around, uh, we're all ready to go out. We're bundled with fleece blankets. Um, There was alcohol because it gets very damp in the middle of the night in England. Um, All kinds of other paraphernalia like uh, night vision equipment, you know, Russian military equipment, and God knows what else you can buy online. (laughs) I said, we're going to get them this time. And um, it's like someone just threw a pallet of sleeping gas into my living room. And next thing I remember, 
I woke up, it was seven in the morning and everybody's flat out on the floor. And I'm thinking, oh hell, we've blown it. What the hell has happened? I had a terrible headache. And um, I raced through my car, through the fog, got, went down to the airfield, and I gave the pilot the coordinates. Now, he takes his helmet off and says, look, don't waste your money. It's really foggy this morning. We're not going to get a good photograph. And if, you, if this is the field that I think it is, I was the last pilot there at 9 o'clock at night. Uh, it was still bright in the middle of the summer at that time in England. And uh, he said, no one can make a crop circle in that short space of time. Uh, trust me, you don't want to do this. And I said, look, just put your helmet back on. Let's go out there. And uh, so contrary, uh, he basically took me around. We circled around the uh, prescribed field, 500 feet above the uh, surface. Went around once, twice, three times. It was still foggy. And then the fourth time, uh, it's like a curtain just pulled. And this bloody great big fresh crop circle was right there. And uh, all I can hear in my headphones was the pilot saying, Fucking hell. <laughs> How the hell did you know? I said, you don't want to know. And he became a believer. I mean, who wouldn't? And it was exactly where these seven people said it would be. Uh, it was exactly a seven-pointed geometry. And yes, once we did the, um, got the diagram, it was, there wasn't a nine-pointed element within it that you can't see. So talk about people realizing that they're much more psychic than they give themselves credit for. But that was a great experiment. And, and here's the best part of the story. Uh, when I got back to the house, there was a psychic there, another psychic, a friend of mine. I have a lot of friend psychics. And she said, you know, I've just been told that uh, you're not supposed to go in there. They said that this crop circle is really meant for the earth. The earth is being told to hold back on its shift because it's trying to give us time to get our act together. Uh, it's not really meant for us. And if we go anywhere near it, uh, there'll be consequences. And I thought, yeah, but I have to document it. I have to show it. I have to talk about this because I'm, re I'm a researcher. So I was given a technique to try and protect myself. And I tell you, I went in there. I lasted maybe a minute and a half before I went ill for like 48 hours. Uh, talk about sticking your head in the microwave oven. My God. It, and the, the readings that the guy that went close to it, he said, I was a quarter of a mile away from this thing and all my equipment went dead and all the LCD equipment went black. Uh, it, uh, the readings reached reach so high, the equipment just failed, and 16 packs of batteries, uh, fresh batteries, went completely dead. That's how powerful this stuff was. But they were saying, this is not really meant for you. This is meant for the earth. Please don't go near it, because we'll make you sick if you do. We're just trying to protect you. So uh, they do look after you, the, uh, the circle makers. They really do. Well, that's cool. That's a, <laughs> yeah. You can see why I gave up my day job. Oh, of course. Yeah, I would, it sounds unreal. You know I don't know if there's, has there any, do you know if there's any, ever been any in British Columbia, like West Coast Canada? Or is it just in, uh, the, there, in the prairies? There was one in Vanderhoof. Vanderhoof, yes, okay. Yes, it was. Yes, yes you're quite right. Uh, British Columbia tends to be the wrong geology. They like water, fresh water, and they like porous rock. And there's a lot of um, uh, granite and volcanic rock in uh, British Columbia. You'd have to go to the prairie side, uh, Saskatchewan, Alberta. They still happen there. And in fact, they're the best farmers out there. They really are so keen to understand what, what's going on. And they've got the best eyewitness accounts of balls of light forming crop circles and beams of light. They love it. I mean, they are really into it. So bless them. They're, well, they're Canadians. You know, of yeah. course, they're going to be nice. We're, we're interested. We're def We're all interested, definitely. <laughs> Just wonder which one would shoot in my backyard because I can never get out there. It's too far.
Yeah. Actually, people have asked that in the, in the early years when we were sort of making it was saying, is this thing conscious? And uh, they go back home, there'll be a brand new crop circle just behind their house. Uh, it, it, followed, it would follow you around uh, like a little sort of straight puppy. Uh, it was very endearing. Man, it's, it's just, it's the coolest thing. It really is. Like, oh, it's the best phenomenon happening in our lifetime. I just wish people would, have, would take more interest and stop believing the nonsense that they see on the internet and what they um, see on television because it doesn't bear uh, much resemblance to reality. So, yeah, you, it's got to be well-researched. It's got to be well-written and it's got to be well-thought-through and then you've got to use your discernment just like anything else, you know. Not everything can be what it is. Like, you know, you know what I want to do? I want to go, like, I want to take like the biggest skeptic and the biggest debunker of crop circles and be like, all right, why why do you think why do you think they're all fake? Why do you think they're all man-made? Blah blah blah. Like, give your give your spiel, and I want to take you and like and give your accounts. Be like, all right, listen, this is what we think the real these are the real crop circles, and I want I want to hear like, is there has there ever been a debate like a real like televised or publicized debate between like someone who's just like, no, nah, these are all man-made, and then someone such as yourself. Oh, absolutely. And uh, they rarely get uh, to be seen in the media. And most of the time, they basically start coming up with the most ridiculous stories to basically poo-poo what you're saying. The sarcasm is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's, these are that's the problem, scientists. Right? Yeah, scientists who basically study a subject by avoiding the data and the, and the evidence. Uh, that's not science. That's bullshit. Yeah, uh, it happens in uh, archaeology is full of this stuff. I mean, it's it's really quite horrific what we've been taught. Um, so they'll throw the uh, the evidence out because they want to live in their wonderful little paradigm, and that's fine. But let us uh, have our say as well, because you know we have the proof, and uh, we'd like to believe that things are a little bit different to what we're told. Uh, so it's not a matter of disrespect, and usually how I approach it is is in a very non-confrontational way. They'll poo-poo me and they'll laugh in my face, and I'll say, yeah. It's I think you're absolutely right. And they'll go, I am? Yeah. I mean, but isn't it amazing, don't you think, that how those two guys were able to put a garden roller, which weighs a considerable amount of you know weight, and um, you'd go there and you expect the plants to be crushed and literally dug into the mud of the wet ground, and yet they're floating and hovering above the ground two inches and the stems aren't broken. How do you think they did that? And if you put it like that, they have to answer their own bullshit. And you should see how they basically start coming up with the most ridiculous methods. I mean, one guy actually said they probably used pillows to flatten the plant. That's why there's no damage. <laughs> and you're a scientist? <laughs> yeah. So, and, you let, and you basically put the evidence in front of them and you let them explain their way out of their own quagmire. And they recognize after a while that they're digging, digging themselves a huge hole and they can't get out of it. In other words, they begin to actually debunk themselves and then they just walk out of the room embarrassed. Uh, and I, just, I don't say anything. I let them process it for themselves because that's the way you do it. You don't want to be confrontational. Yeah. You want to let them come to their own opinion using their own logic and using the evidence to back out their logic. And, of course, once they recognize that it doesn't add up, they'll have to basically think things through for themselves and let them come to their own opinions. But usually they go away. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, really, so, it's, it's well put because like we've, we've talked about a lot about, like, ancient megalithic structures. And we talk like, I don't know if you're familiar, you're probably familiar with Graham Hancock's work, right? About his ancient civilizations. Oh God, we're all buddies. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's the same thing for those guys. They're like, okay, Egyptologists say it was Khufu, Khafre and Menkel Ray. They built the pyramids. A little bit of graffiti says that's true. And that's what we're going to believe. And like, that's, they always believe that forever. And then when new evidence is presented, they're like, nah, can't be, just can't be. 
Oh, it's ridiculous. In fact, Graham does it very well, and uh, he has a lot of arrows on his back. Yeah, he uh, does. And he's taking a lot of hits for us, which is fine with me because that means I can get on with my work. And uh, even though he sells a hundred million books, that's fine. <laughs> no, I mean it's a it's a collaborative effort. I mean, in fact, we we're having this conversation only last year at a conference, and uh, he said, you know, it's funny because there was one time when uh, he was working on a specific project that I was working on, and we had no idea. And we reached the same conclusion independent of each other using different methods. And we thought, that's really cool, you know. And he said, it's like it's not, we're kind of self-plagiarizing. And I said, well, we're not really. We're kind of borrowing from the same source. But if we reach the same conclusion via different avenues, it proves that we're actually right. And I thought, actually, that is true. So, uh, and yeah, I mean, he, and his work and many people like him and like me, uh, you know, it's, it takes a lot of courage to get out there and do the work and ask awkward questions and then get your ego out of the equation because that's the hard part. You've got you to remove yourself from the equation and just observe. And I tell you, the more you observe like a child, the more fun you have because the answers become self-evident and they come at you faster than you can even write them down. And that's when you realize that you're having a, an intimate conversation conversation with an invisible world that has a, a very mischievous sense of humor, but they also are very keen to help you understand the big picture. And that's why we're really here. Man, I just, it's so, it's so, it's so crazy that the world we like, we live in is just like, it's so like, you get, your, you're in your field, that's your field, you study it, you never look at anything else. But, I know it's sad, isn't it? <laughs> but do you, do you notice a, a trend like ever since, two, like say, two thousand twelve was the start of the transition? Do you notice a trend of more and more people like becoming more aware of stuff like this, or is it kind of steady? Or it's a bit of both. In fact, I was reading a, a an article. It talked about the problem with kids today, and they're paying no attention. They have no manners. Uh, they're totally, you know, uh, looking at things which have no value in life. And that was written in three hundred BC in Greece. I tell you, nothing changes in human nature. Uh, we go through cycles, as I said before. Uh, but I am very encouraged by when I travel around the world uh, by what I see, because, like I said, good news doesn't often get reported in the media. And uh, people often ask me, uh, you must have a lot of people in California that believe this stuff. I said, yeah, but not half as many as the ones in Ohio. And you'd never think of uh, sleepy, rural, little conservative Ohio as being a hotbed of new age metaphysical thinking. And I tell you, I've spoken in towns filled with uh, a room filled with people, uh, 100, 150, 200 people to come out of the woodwork uh, to hear this stuff. And I'm thinking, my God, there's more of us than there are of them. You know, it's like the, the recent election. You know, there's a minority that's got control of the majority. And this is happening in a lot of places around the world right now, which is very worrying. But at the same time, it's good to know that we're actually in the majority. It's just a, it's only when you go out to conferences that you recognize there's so many of us. And by the same token, people are becoming more stupid as well. There's a huge disparity between inquiring minds who are becoming more inquiring and more interested and more open about and cross-pollinating ideas, which is where you get the real truth from. I mean, sometimes by understanding, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, hyperdimensional physics mixed with geology, you understand crop circles. I mean, who would have thought? I thought you had to understand the agrarian stuff to understand the, how plants work. But no, 
uh, you have to see things from multiple points of view. Uh, and at the same time, you have a lot of those people uh, walking around now. And you have people who are completely, you know, dumb as a brick and uh, walking into fountains looking at their cell phones all the time. I mean, it's uh, quite scary. But <laughs> once you recognize that this has been going on from generation to generation, it's actually quite comforting, you know. So the trick is you've got to look after yourself. You know, what are you doing to, uh, to empower yourself, to become more aware and become a better person? And how can you show that to other people? How can you be the change you wish to see, as Gandhi said? Uh, and I think that's a very good way of doing it. You know, just be the example. Don't force it. Just do what is in your power. Be the change. Show people that there's a better way of doing things. And some will get it and some won't. And that's the way it's always been and the way it's always be. And I wouldn't worry about it. And that's that's well put. That's kind of like how we, this well podcast said. started, right? We kind of just like we're very interested in this stuff. We're like, hey, I got I got the recording gear. See what happens, and then uh, exactly a year and a half later, yeah, here we are. Earth is, Earth is an experimental way station in the universe. Uh, we come here to have a, a collective conscious experience, absolutely, which is why we're part of this cycle now. Uh, we were, we've been born now because we wanted to be here to see what was going to happen. Uh, but ultimately, it's about your experience as a, as a soul. Uh, we're individual beings. We come here to have a personal experience, and that's what's important. Uh, how are you going to get through this experience that you don't remember? what it was when you agreed to do it, which is part of the joke. You only find out when you die. Uh, the trick is just to do the best you can. Don't beat yourself up about it. Do the best you can and try to be a better person than when, uh, than when you arrived and leave the place at least 1% better than when you found it. And that's the best you can do. Uh, so it's a very Zen way of looking at it. And those people were absolutely right. So cool. So cool. Brayden, do you have something to say there? Um, yeah, I got it. I just got a couple more. I'm, just He's in tears. Mind. Yeah, my mind's getting blown back to back. It's hard, <laughs> hard to keep track. Um, hey, no lawsuits. Weird. No lawsuits. Oh, never. Never. Um, one of a fan had asked, had anyone? Have you ever had any? Um, has anyone ever made threats or stuff about your research for you to like discontinue what you're looking into? You know, they haven't. Usually, because I sort of. Uh, I guess I don't take myself too seriously. I'm very serious about my work, but I always like to sort of portray myself in public as someone with a bit, bit of a sort of carefree attitude. So they think, oh, he's not that serious. He's a bit of a clown. And that allows me to get away with murder, uh, yeah. metaphorically speaking. Um, some other researchers have not been so lucky. Uh, they have been handled quite a bit. Uh, I just found a different way of handling it. You know, I learned from the Templars. You basically learn to behave like an idiot and they leave you alone. You basically yeah. live to survive, to get on with your work unaccustomed. But I did have my phone bug for quite, for quite a long time. And this is in the days when, uh, you know, there's a lot, everybody had landlines not too long ago. And you'd always hear that click on the end of the line. And uh, people would give me bullshit over the phone. And I'd be talking to physicists, mathematicians, um, farmers, and they'd give me the most ridiculous inf wrong information. In fact, there's one famous case where a friend of mine called me up after he'd sent me the real information, by the way, in an envelope for the mail, which is why we should never get rid of re real mail. Uh, it's not trackable. Um, and he told me there was going to be a good chance of having a crop circle on a specific field. He gave me the coordinates, and uh, we actually found it there. But before that happened, we actually um, he talked about it on the phone, gave me the wrong coordinates. And I swear, we went on this hill, and we saw uh, several people from uh, the uh, British military dressed in camouflage, which is not that convincing, uh, uh, hiding around the perimeter of a field. We told them to go <laughs> and look out. 
and we're shouting at them from the hill going, you've got the wrong field. <laughs> and they're waving at us going, shut up. <laughs> it was almost like a comedy. Uh, but no, I mean, I didn't get threats per se, but with, I, I was definitely monitored because the funny thing is that we were way ahead of the, uh, the authorities, always have been, because our heart was in the right place. We're not into control. And anybody that's trying to control this phenomenon has not fared that well. The uh, people who have made the most progress have always been people who've had uh, an open mind, uh, a very sort of welcoming attitude, and uh, and working in an unthreatening manner. So, and I think looking back on it now, that was actually a, a very good approach to take because it served us very well. Very cool. Very cool that no one's threatened to kill you or anything like that. That's for sure. That's, uh, <laughs> of it's, course, none of I've told you I have to kill you. Yeah. No. <laughs> Um, I, I had a question about, uh, so is it, is it just in crops, these formations happen or is there, does it ever happen on like solid surfaces like soil or rock or snow, or is it mainly crops cause it's organic? It's, uh, happened in snow and ice, but where they're the same thing, we don't know. There's never been a way to really measure it. Uh, or at least it hasn't, we haven't been able to until, you know, uh, because getting there, by the time we get there, everything was melted. Right. Uh, we do know that, uh, the connection was that, uh, if it ever happened in ice, uh, or in snow, if someone was there to collect the sample, we could actually uh, test the sample and find that, yes, in the genuine crop circles, whenever we've buried vials of water in them, it turns out that the water is coded 136% above normal water samples. That's one way we could have done it, but no one ever was able to collect the sample, so we're none the wiser. Um, so, but usually there's just cereal crop. But they happen in weird cereal crop. I mean, apart from wheat and barley, uh, there's canola, which is very, very um, brittle. So if you try to step on it, as I once showed a member of the police, uh, because they were very skeptical, um, I said, try stepping with your big, thick Dr. Martin's boots on that uh, stalk. And they did. They snapped it. I thought, wow. Now, look at what's down over there. That's not snapped. That stuff has been bent over like it's been made molten, like a huge amount of heat has been applied in a fraction of a second, which actually is what happens. Uh, it happens in one nanosecond. This heat uh, that's a, a byproduct of the sound frequency boils the water inside the plant stem, and it makes the plant supple enough to fall over like molten glass, and then it rehardens in its horizontal position. It's beautiful. But the plant is not damaged, which is extraordinary. So uh, we found that uh, this does happen to very brittle plants like uh, canola, and also Canadian corn, which is, has to be treated uh, chemically to withstand those horrible prairie winds. So when that happens in Canadian corn, uh, it's an, a magic sight. Uh, if you ever b picked corn from a, a field, you'll know how you know really brittle and uh, uh, hard those stalks are. So when you see these things flattened like a pancake, uh, completely se steamed into place, it's a very beautiful sight. Uh, I've also seen them in um, linseed oil, uh, which uh, from the air looks like this beautiful mauve pattern, like someone dropped LSD on the land or something. Um, potatoes, uh, the tops of trees in Wisconsin were swirled around in a perfect spiral as well. Uh, so, yeah, they, um, they, they do have kind of a wide canvas, but again, they never damage anything when they do. And that's, that's crazy in corn because, yeah, corn is like a giant plant. Like, it's, like you'd have to like – it's hard to break one of those and to break like – if you're if you're doing some of these crop circles are like 700 feet wide and you know like 100 yeah, circles and you, get, in and you them. go to Kansas 
Yeah, you go to Kansas and you see this, the, the stems are perfectly steamed in place, completely undamaged, uh, which explains why one township in Kansas, uh, which is a great story, actually, now that I remember about it, um, they, uh, it's like a population of 100 people in the middle of nowhere. And uh, in fact, I couldn't even pinpoint it on a map. And um, turns out that one afternoon, there's a big crop circle there and people were very excited. And suddenly, out of nowhere, there's this convoy of black um, four by fours, uh, all government vehicles. They show up with these, uh, tractor trailers with uh, mulchers they put crime scene tape around the thing they brought their guns out told the people to go back in their homes they literally vacuumed the entire field of where the crop circle was there was not one trace left of anything i mean they almost took out the topsoil if they could and they disappeared as quickly as they arrived and you wonder Wow, um, and this is supposed to be made by people. Why are they so afraid? Yeah, it's straight out of X Men. It's a real story as well. You get a lot of those reports of like the black military vehicles and and type of UFO phenomenon or anything like that to show up immediately after and question people or confiscate cameras. Yeah, they're not very. They don't. They don't have much of a sense of humor. No. They don't like them. No. Yeah. <laughs> There was one time when we were in, uh, on the side of a hill in bright daylight, and uh, you know, we, we again, um, there's a lot of eyewitnesses that talk about the balls of light or the orbs making the crop circles, or they're in the vicinity of them before and after. And um, there was one time when I actually saw them in the, at night, and they're very brightly coloured. I mean, you'll never forget it. They're about the size of a beach ball. Uh, you can communicate with them; they move about at will. But uh, if you ask them to stop, they'll stop. They can read your mind. Uh, and they have a mischievous sense of humor. Um, sometimes they'll sort of fly over your car and stop your engine. It's just like close encounters. I mean, it's so funny. Uh, but in the daytime, they look like brightly colored silver spheres. And uh, we're having a sandwich on the side of this hill in England, bright daylight, and just happened to have a camcorder handy and uh, saw one of these uh, big sort of orbs flying, I want to say, a quarter of a mile in front of us. So we're about 120 feet up on the hill. Uh, cornfield under, underneath and uh, it just stops and we're saying oh look it's one of them and it starts sort of moving around in a little circle like it's, it's waving at us and there's a black military helicopter close behind and I thought keep filming this, this is going to be fun and uh, it's like you can hear the, the, the actual ball of light talking to you going hey watch this, watch what I'm going to do and suddenly it would disappear and it would reappear behind the helicopter so the helicopter has to turn around uh, then it disappears and it goes above the helicopter. So the helicopter's going, well, what the hell did he go? And you can see the pilot having a really hard time. <laughs> and it look, and it bends the uh, the craft up and it tries to sort of obviously take some pictures. And then it disappears again and it appears under the helicopter. Now the helicopter has no idea where the, uh, the ball of light is. And then you almost, again, you hear it saying, well, that was fun. I hope you enjoy that. And then it stops. It wobbles for a fraction of a second, and then it shoots off at such a ludicrous speed that we can't even keep up with it. And I thought, wow, that was really impressive. The helicopter just sort of stopped back to the military base, uh, which is not far from the house where I lived. And um, I ran down the hill with the, uh, the group of people. So there's four eyewitnesses to this, uh, including the person that filmed this. And I said, let's get down to that house. I know who lives there. They've got a television. I need to see this on a big screen. And um, we were there watching this. And we're going, my God, this, this is amazing. Who do we give this to? And uh, no sooner we said that, 15 minutes into this, there's a knock on the door. 15 minutes. I open the door. There's uh, British police. And they're, they're very nice. And they said, they're very polite. And they said, uh, we're not here. 
we're not asking you to hand this over the tape you've uh, <laughs> you filmed, <laughs> and uh, you don't want to know how we found you. And, and I said, absolutely. I have no idea why I'm answering the door. Oh, and by the way, you did not make a copy of this. At app, what, in 15 minutes? Are you kidding? Okay, goodbye. Have a nice day. So they're very nice. And uh, meanwhile, we already made a copy. <laughs> nice. And we sent it around, and uh, God knows where it ended up. Oh, it ended up in a, a video called Crop Circle Communique. So if you still have a video player and eBay, uh, those two will go together quite well. So, again, another great story uh, uh, from the days of Crop Circle Research. So th there was a bit of humor that was attached to it. That's funny. Okay, well, now, go for are it. You still at the, are you still at the – do you still find out about new ones as rare as they are now? Are you still – do you get calls about them? I keep track of it uh, on the periphery. I mean, my work is really involved into the area of where the crop circles left off, which is the connection to sacred sites. And then I went off to a Knights Templar, uh, which actually is very linked to all of this, by the way. And then the whole concept of why some temples, there's no one buried in them, like the Great Pyramid and stuff like that. Why there are these sarcophagi that are sealed, there's no one inside. And, uh, so that was another interesting project. But I keep a peripheral uh, interest in it. I still have my people on the ground that will report back to me because I get emails all the time saying, I was just in this. I hope it's real. I said, well, I hate to bust your... Uh, cloud on this but actually it's not but if you're picking up some energy there was a real one in that field a few years ago so that's probably what you're picking up so yeah it's a it's i'm still on the periphery of it but I, I feel that my work was done and you know what in 15 years later after the book was published nothing new has really appeared to advance our understanding it's like we just nailed it and now we just have to basically work with what we have and apply it so do you know do you know how many how many like real ones are there a year? Do you have any idea or do you know people who have any idea? I'd say at the most about two a year since 2003 are real. Uh, and they usually tend to be the very simple ones, the ones that don't attract attention. And the reason is because there's so much uh, frivolous attention being given to them, uh, so much tourism. Uh, there's a lot of negativity as well. People go in there and fight about them. And you, when you're dealing with an energy form that's very pure, you don't want to pollute that. It will def uh, basically undermine the whole reason why they're appearing. And that's why I think the real ones nowadays, the rare ones that exist, are very simple. No one pays any attention to them leave them alone because we've become so acclimated as humans to looking for the big stuff it's kind of like into to egypt to the giza plateau and everybody goes to the great pyramid everybody forgets there's two other pyramids and the little one is actually the most interesting one and no one ever goes there and the big secret to giza is the little pyramid and that tells you a lot about human nature it's a huge lesson so uh, and that again applied to crop circles makes a lot of sense as well um, again they said that it was part of a conversation uh, they had a beginning and an end and uh, they would give the information um, this is channel material 20 years ago that I'm uh, repeating now mm -hmm. they said that we have to think about it work on it some scientists would be uh, in quotes used to create energy devices we now know that's happened we know that there will be healing modalities developed from it that has happened and the ultimate aim was to twofold it was to buy uh, humanity time to get its act together before the coming changes which are already upon us 
uh, come to take place. We should prepare ourselves and, uh, you know, do whatever is necessary. And secondly, it's about helping humanity evolve as a consciousness. And many people have been touched by this phenomenon. And I've seen them become much better people. They've gone on to influence uh, local governments. Some people, with, even within government, believe it or not, have uh, taken a liking to this uh, subject. And they've applied what they've learned within the sphere of their influence. So there are people in the right places doing the right things based on the information that's been encoded into the earth. So I wouldn't lose heart about whether it's real or not, or whether the fact that it's really stopped happening 15 years ago. The fact is that it's here. The energy is here. The imprint of the information is here. And we should work on that information and apply it. Right on. Okay, now let's let's get to the, the title of the show is Alien Theorist Theorizing. So you've talked about the Watchers from ancient Egypt. Is the, Do you think, so what, who, like you see these orb UFOs, are, is, what, what, what is that, is that interdimensional being or is that like, you said beings from a higher, higher density, like higher frequency or what exactly do you think that is? Yeah, they're basically saying that they're not, they're physical on their level of reality as we are on ours. It's just that we cannot even begin to conceptualize uh, them as real beings because we have no method of understanding a frequency that's that high. Uh, and it's not better uh, than ours, they're just different. Uh, we're just very limited beings, that's all. Um, so that, And that's how they try to explain it. And uh, whenever you see these balls of light flying around the fields, basically it's that's consciousness. Uh, it'll be like uh, you and me taking our consciousness, taking it out of body, and going traveling to another world that's even denser than ours. Uh, we would appear to them as uh, balls of light. That's how it happens. And that's why the these balls of light are usually associated with fairy phenomena, for example, or... Uh, uh, you know, supernatural beings uh, in every culture around the world. But these people, these ancient cultures, have complete respect for them because they understand what they are. They're spirit forms that are showing themselves to us in a way that we can see it, uh, but yet they cannot actually physicalize on our level of reality. So actually, uh, it fulfills two purposes. It shows that they can actually move about at will and they have control of the laws of nature. And also they can show to us that there's other levels of reality around us and we should take heed of that and uh, do a better job of communicating and also respecting the world we live in because what we do down here has repercussions outside the earth as well. It's, we're all one big ball of energy in the universe. What we do down here affects everything and everyone. So that's why they have a, a vested interest in our well-being. And UFOs basically also have their particular level of reality. They come from other planets like ours. They're physical. Um, but um, they are essentially people just like us who are able to master the laws of the universe and use uh, wormholes, the magnetic portals that we are just now beginning to realize exist between the planets. And they found a way to basically get from A to B across light space and be here in no time at all. And um, and there, there's all kinds of uh, aliens out there who have all kinds of different agendas. Most of them are pretty good. Some of them not so good. Uh, I've been in enough uh, UFO conferences to talk to people who have been abducted. And a lot of the abduction cases are actually quite positive. Uh, in fact, it seems to be that there's a, a cooperation going on between the individual and the abductee, sorry, the abductor, uh, even at a subconscious level. And uh, these people have the most extraordinary experiences. But then there are those who tend to have the negative experiences, which are usually associated with the greys. Uh, and I always wondered that perhaps they are grey because I don't think they're actually up in, in a world of their own. I think they're in between worlds. I think the colour says it all. 
and that they're very curious, it seems, as to how we as humans work. They cannot understand emotions. They can't understand things like love and empathy. And they're trying to basically take out parts of our bodies to try and understand, is that where it is? So it's like us experimenting on a guinea pig. No different when you think about it. Uh, and those are the ones that tend to be a bit more um, severe. Uh, and, I've, and I've seen enough people at these conferences to know who's bullshitting and who's telling the truth. And I tell you, uh, people like um, Travis Walton, for example, I've, see, I've looked in his eyes and I know fear, real fear. And that guy has been through something. He's, he's not faking it. Oh, that's cool. So, again, the universe is so much wider than though. Uh, we tend to constrict our understanding. It's, uh, we just have to realize that there are as many alien uh, people and as many um, supernatural forms out there as there are uh, people uh, on Earth. Man, that is cool. Because I've always thought, and we've always talked about on the show, as if if humans are ever going to get to space and become interstellar, let's say, the amount of like collaboration and like you can't do that as like a warfaring species. You got to be like everyone's got to be on the same page. Like you, if like okay, we want to do this, everyone works together for that means. So when you say like oh, that's mainly peaceful, that makes sense to me. But then like, exactly, even, and, yeah. then, and then even the greys like they if they're they're not necessarily peaceful, they're not necessarily like malicious. They're just curious and they can't understand our reality. Kind of thing is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, if we do that to chickens and mice in laboratories, why can't they do it to us? I mean, uh, all things being equal, it's actually quite fair. <laughs> I mean, look at what we did to the alien autopsy uh, in the film. Uh, I mean, the guy was dead, fair enough, but still, I wonder if uh, we ever caught one of them alive, what would we do to them oh, if yeah. they were still alive? You know, that would be horrible. And in fact, that's, that, that, that film actually brings up an interesting story because that was supposed to be, and I'm sure many people are familiar, familiar with the alien autopsy film that came out about, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think so. Uh, apparently one of the uh, the aliens that um, survived the, the crash landing at Roswell, well, the Hopi, who you don't get to hear much about, they, or was it the Navajo? It was the Navajo, beg your pardon. They actually came out and they said they tried to actually stop that from being screened. And they said, and I quote, um, it's not the fact that uh, you're um, screening this that upsets us. It's the fact that you, A, are screening the wrong crash. <laughs> it's another crash altogether, which is an extraordinary thing to say. And B, that's one of our people. They're like That's family to us. You don't do that to dead people. You should have some respect, you know, and uh, show some uh, respect to others. And I thought that was an incredible thing to say on two accounts. Man, like... This is like this is like one of the, this is one of our coolest fucking interviews we ever had by far. This is so cool, Braden. Hey, uh, I expect sales to go through the roof, or else. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. We'll, <laughs> we're gonna push your books like no other. Uh, but we're yeah. we're about we're about an hour and a half here, so uh, we'll probably start to wrap it up. Braden, you got any any full, further questions? Uh, no, I I he I had this I had lists I had three pages of questions, and before I even asked them, you would you would almost answer them in order. I was gonna ask it's like he's stuff. reading our mind yeah <laughs> it does give you uh, actually i am I, I mean i'm not boasting here and uh, just give you an idea of what this stuff can do it really makes you realize that you are a god you begin to develop parts of your being that you were told did not exist uh kind of like the church uh and i've seen this in myself and other people uh and and that's just not just with crop circles i'm talking about working with uh, ancient sacred sites and temples that's what they were built to do and if someone had told me this actually they did tell me this 20 years ago that i'll be able to see energy 
energy lines, uh, be able to be much more clairvoyant, uh, much more empathic. Uh, I laughed at them, and now I am not laughing uh, because it really has happened to me and the people around me. So there is a bit of truth to what you just said, actually, and it's actually kind of funny at the same time. So <laughs> I encourage you to go out there and, uh, you know, just get out and, and, and go and visit the sacred places and uh, um, and just hang out with them. It would be amazing what it, they do to you. We're on. We're on the quest. We're on the. We're on the, we're the start. <laughs> the start of our journey. Definitely. Good for you. Um, well, let's uh, wrap this up. And you, you heard it here first. If you see a spade, call it a spade. If you see a duck, call it a duck. If you don't know what it is, you don't know what it is. Boom. That's fair enough. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Hey, Freddie, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, give a yeah, give a couple plug, give a couple plugs for yourself. Where people where can people find your book and where can they get a hold of you? Uh, invisibletemple.com and you'll be there for days and good luck to you yeah I, i've been i've been on your website you got you got tons of stuff on there you got a lot of dvds a lot of books to read i got i'm gonna be busy this summer absolutely yeah nothing like a good book you can't read by the way they did experiments and find out that if you actually read stuff on kindle and all of those uh, you know mechanical things you only retain about 30 percent of the information and i said this years ago and I, I even today when i try to read something on a, on a computer i don't remember half the stuff that i read i actually have to have a real book and it really does make a huge difference oddly enough so hopefully they'll never vanish I don't, you know what? I don't think they will. I think there's always it's just like uh, there's a there's a market for everything. It, it disappears for a while, and then people realize what they miss, and it always comes back. Hey, records yeah, like made a comeback. Yeah, exactly. Spin that black circle, like yeah. Pearl Jam said. Yeah, the the sound of vinyl is uh is a one of a kind. You can't re reproduce it digitally. That's for sure. Exactly. See thank you, me. gentlemen. Hey, thank you very much, Freddie. Uh, we'll uh we'll be in touch soon. Maybe uh, we can get you back on and talk about more like about sacred sites and that kind of stuff. But uh, absolutely, we'll let you go for now. And we really appreciate you coming on, and uh, we will push your message to everyone we can. Uh, cheers, everybody. Okay, yeah, thanks, Freddie. Appreciate it. Wow. wow! Wow! Wow is right. What the fuck just happened? That was amazing. Dude, I, f I feel like I became more of a god just talking to that guy. Honestly, there was points when he was talking, I was just like getting shivers. Like, you know what? All he's saying, like all the stuff I've been reading for the last like, couple of years... Is this like all, yeah. all this like oh. lining up in a, in a straight line, like all connecting its own dots, pretty much? Oh man, that was fucking he cool. Was, he was so fun to listen to. Like yeah, he honestly, was great. he was fucking awesome. So fun to listen to. Holy, that was such a good podcast. Wow. I just sat there and listened for the most of the time because like, can we get can we get more guests like him on? Well, I, he was like a. Honestly, someone sent me his book. Uh, and they're like, man, you got to read this. Actually, a few people sent it, and I was like, okay. I, well, I didn't read it. Well, I listened listen, listen to his lectures because I was going to read it, but then I messaged him thinking I can get him on maybe in like a month or two. He's like, I'd love to come on. I'll come on uh, next Tuesday. I was like, oh, shit, I only got four days to prepare. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking, it's crazy that he, he just came on so quick. It was so fucking cool. Man, oh, that was just, that was fucking it, sweet. It, it was actually mind-blowing, like, to listen to that. And this, that, like, oh, dude, like, can you email him again, just thanking him? Oh, we should send him a fucking T-shirt. Let's get him on because I want to do let's. I want to do a trilogy with him. A three-parter, okay. yeah. I want to do the next one on sacred sacred temples, like sacred sites around the world in the sacred sites. Yeah, and the refer and then, reference to like sacred geometry and shit. Yeah, and then I want to finish it up with Knights Templar. Ooh, I like it. I want to do uh, a, a story arc with Mister. Uh, Freddie Silva, if we can. Yeah. Hopefully, it'll come back on. Hey, you know what? 
seemed like he had a good time. He was fucking, he was laughing, having a good time. We were letting him do his thing, and like I was yeah, just fucking mesmerized really when he was talking. Me too. It's it was uh, it was so good. So, anyway, should we? We got to wrap this one. We got to wrap us up, uh, man. Follow. Go to go to his website. Fuck. What was it called? Uh, oh um, shit! What did he just uh, say? Um, inside. Uh, fuck. Oh, it's gonna come to me. It's gonna come to me in a second. Motherfucker, motherfucker, what was it called? I was looking at it earlier today, too. Oh, one second. Freddy. InvisibleTemple.com. InvisibleTemple.com. Go That's look at was. all his shit. Read, yeah. it, read his books. Support the man. He's fucking been doing the service. He's not, he's definitely not, he's not a superstar. He is not super rich. He just, he puts out his books. He has a good time. He travels the world. He deserves a little credit. There's, there's, deserves a little support. Wow. I, you know what? We, you know, Zelly, you know what me and you should try to do? What's that? Let's try to go to one of his lectures. I would love to. That'd be so I wonder fun. where they are. It's on his tour web- date. It's on his website. I'm sure we can find one. All right, hold on. Let me see. Let's see where. Let's see if there's. If there's anything Portland. close. Yeah. Man, Portland, Oregon. Oh, Ooh, that's, that's April 21st. Oh, that's last year or this year, but before. Yeah. Um. I'm sure he has like a bunch every year, like probably like one a month or something. <gasps> what do you got? Oh, motherfucker. I. Oh. Where, where where was it? I don't even want to tell you because of the date. I know I can't go. Oh, because that's is it in Vancouver? On... No, no, it's in Seattle. But I have a wedding to go to that day. What, what's the date? The twenty first October. Oh, I could do that probably too. Yeah, well, well, one time we'll go. Anyways, let's let's wrap this one up. Uh, if you want to hear a, a little more, we're gonna go after hours here for our patreons. Um, yeah. follow us on Twitter at truth, truth is out there, T H U R R at alien theorists on Facebook. Uh, if you're listening this far, you know where to find us at alien theorists. Just type it in anywhere. We pop yeah. right up. Any podcast bo- player, any fucking search. You find your us. boys come up. We come up anyways. As uh, well, not as always as my new saying, live long and prolapse. You know what? As this episode was. Oh. You are the universe experiencing yourself is pretty much what he just told you. So, fuck yeah. Keep those eyes on the skies. Let's get it. Here.